Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I am having so much fun creating this season for you. I hope you're enjoying it as well. This season, Semester Abroad, is to give you an overview, or a highlight, if you will, of the wines and wine culture of South Africa. In this episode, I want you to come to know what life is like drinking, serving, and teaching the wines that we've been talking about. Let me introduce you to Roxanne Waldeck, sommelier and educator in South Africa. A theme throughout our conversation is about how all of this is bigger than just wine, bigger than just us. There's a bit of talk in the industry on how to train the youth coming up or how to even attract them to the wine industry. As for South Africa, Roxanne has a few ideas. Please tell us who you are and specifically, what do you do? Um, Roxanne Waldeck. I am a sommelier uh, based in Cape Town, South Africa. Such a beautiful country, such a wonderful place for wine. And I'm also a wine educator and facilitator. I've just launched my own business, my own academy called a Pedagon Youth Development Academy. It's for young people in the wine industry um, who are literally just stepping into this into this new crazy wine world um, and just delivering courses that help to make things a little bit easier as they step into the space. When we sat next to each other at, uh, the, at the Hartenberg dinner and you were telling me a little bit about what you were doing, I was like, wow, this is fantastic. Like I was really fascinated by it. But fortunately, since I was working, we didn't have time to talk again. So we're having a conversation now. For... A young person or youth that is interested in getting into the wine industry, what is one skill you think they should have or work on? A skill. It is useful, if not essential, to um, to have a good palate. And so the skill that I would suggest somebody who's new to the industry work on is to develop their palate and so how you would do that is taste every single thing everything and not to just taste it unconsciously as if you're eating a sandwich but even if you're eating a sandwich to be very conscious to take your focus to everything that you are experiencing as a flavor, as a texture, and to be mindful of that, that then goes into your mental filing system, and to taste as many wines as possible. So, yeah, I would say as a skill, 
to just really refine and to exercise your palate. Smell everything, taste everything. It will make your life a whole lot easier. And I think also build on, on confidence so that you know what it is that you're tasting when you are talking about wine. Uh, spending some time talking to these uh, youth development groups. And I've been refining and then developing a new course that I'll be teaching. And, and I think also just wrapping my mind back around being present in the way that I want to be in the industry. When I, when I was teaching a few years back um, before COVID, um, that three-year period, and then most like COVID happened, and that was, you know, that was a lull. But that time, I was, I was teaching a lot, and I felt like I had somehow distanced myself from being involved in tastings and things. Mm-hmm. And so now that I'm creating and working on my own academy, the responsibility to be there and to be present for the relationships that I want to establish webbing out into the industry from the nucleus of my business. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the starting sommelier school or sommelier education program. Will that be similar to like the academy or where you started out and got your training? Do you want it to be similar to that? No, it's it's quite different, and not just in terms of the content, but in terms of the delivery of the content as well. So the organization that I was with focused very strongly on sommelierie, and what I taught with that organization was everything around how to be a sommelier from a service perspective and then a theory perspective as well. They've also, they also have an introduction to wine course as I do, but it's the delivery of it that is, that is a little bit, it's a bit different. And if I can be particular about it, my courses is being delivered by a, woman who is colored in a South African context at this time. And and also the young people that are in the groups that I teach, we have a very similar background. And so the delivery comes from a similar base. The life experience comes from a similar base. And we meet one another in the context of talking and learning and discovering wine and your own personal abilities. And the organization I worked with previously, they have the same course, but elements of the course in terms of the material is different. And then as I was saying, the delivery is different. And I also think that the relationship formed in that delivery is also different. I feel like the people that I teach 
can get in touch with me two weeks later and say, hey, Rox, you know, what happened? I, I don't like, I'm not sure about this thing. Can you help me out? Here? What are you doing at the moment? What, where can I go? Like, do you have any connections for me? How was your experience, you know, as a person growing up in this way as well? And, and, and so. Okay. So you want there to be so more of a relationship, not just you standing up giving out information okay class thanks so much bye and then you never talk it's about so much more than that yes i think what's very important is when the teaching is being done there must be a sense that yes there is there is data coming my way but underneath that data is a, is a support so I can ask a question that I feel uncomfortable about, about the data, mm-hmm. but I can do that because this, this space is also a supportive space. And so when there's those two things that combine, it changes the whole dynamic. And it also changes the confidence and the opinion that the learner has about what is possible in an environment where there are new things being learned. What made you lean into this approach? Was it um, being a woman? Was it because you're in South Africa specifically? What made you lean into wanting to approach some reality in this way? When I taught the students in the past, it was actually those students that inspired me to create this academy. Through teaching them, I realized that it is more than wine. I realized that there was an idea that the people who who were learning about wine, they had an idea that they couldn't or that they didn't have enough in order to X, in order to travel, in order to earn good money, in order to be around people who make important decisions. So there was a lack, there was a lack mentality. And and with that came a lot of fear. And also, Tanisha, the idea that someone doesn't think it's possible for them to be able to know something and so that as a structure that as an object was the fuel for me creating the academy and it's not that I deliberately teach in this way it is just the way that I am and also as somebody who observes other people I observe myself a lot too in my schooling and in my tertiary education, I always wanted educators to do the educating in a certain kind of way, to just like spend a little bit more time on that topic, you know, and to feel the room, like to get a sense, hang on here. I'm seeing heads nod, but I think the heads are nodding because that's what they think I want to see. And then to take that out of the way and then go deeper and spend a little bit more time and infuse the material with encouragement at the same time. Because that's what I always wanted to experience. And I think also, Tanisha, my own journey, I was also at a point where I thought that I couldn't do it. I was also at a point where I thought, no, man, no, you city. 
you city just you can and I, honestly i didn't think i was going to live long i was like you city you're probably going to die soon you know the wine industry is already established like what do you think that you are now going to come in here and do you know so you're not going to be a winemaker because you're already too old and and i've been there i've been where they are i know what that's like and i know how to talk and think and act and attitude yourself out of that thinking and if i could then I really wanted to let another young adult know that they can also. (laughs) So that's interesting what you just said, because I feel like we've all kind of been there at some point in a career where we didn't think we could do something. We thought that there wasn't a place for us there. Two questions. Why do you think you thought like that? And then what changed your mind and helped you get past that? Mm. I thought like that because of family history, ancestral history, seeing my family and my extended family dynamics. And as colored people, our family dynamic was that this box, this container, this is our container. And this is, and we do all our stuff here. We don't do it out there. That is not our container. That is like the white people's container. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that was the one thing. And the other thing has to do with, with money. As a family, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of money and, and our extended family as well. And that was also part of the container. And so if, if I was going to earn a good salary, that would mean that I would have to get out of that container. And my family never really did that. And it's it's programming, Tanisha. And you don't realize you've been programmed until you're faced with a choice where you see another option. And unless you're at that choice point, you won't see the option be- because the choice isn't there. Have I answered your question there? Mm -hmm. And to continue on with that, like you saying, because the choice isn't there, what put the choice there for you? Like, what was the turning point Mm. when you were like, oh, I'm doing this? It was believing that I could despite what I thought. I'm I'm the kind of person that, that questions things a lot. I don't follow anything blindly. I don't do anything just because I'm told to do it. And so with the theme of always asking questions, I would ask myself certain questions. And when I changed assumptions about my beliefs, about colored people, about being in the wine industry, about my abilities, when I changed, when I flipped those assumptions literally into the complete opposite, And I set that as a new point to work from. New opportunities came, but also by asking these questions and changing assumptions, I took myself forward to these crossroads. And I couldn't, I didn't want to experience the same thing I had in the past. And so the only other option was to choose the other choice. And I think as well, when I observe myself, 
I noticed that I really liked teaching people. I really liked like sharing information because I don't believe there's anything that anybody can't know. I understand that you have rocket scientists and you've got like quantum physicists and they do a lot of hectic work. But I think that even complex information like that, when it is understood by the thinker, it can actually be translated in a very simple way. And so wine is exactly the same thing. Yes, there's malolactic and then there's anthocyanins here and there. But if I understand that information, I can convey it over to somebody else so that they can understand it. And when I realize that I'm able to do that and that I liked doing it, I dis- I built, I built on that. I want to move the conversation a little bit in a direction to talk about race because you brought that up as part of your thinking and you feeling like that you were in a box or had to be in a box because you're um, colored and a woman because I can see you. They can't. They'll just be listening. But I can see. (laughs) And also with this being South Africa and with wine being a largely male industry and then with South Africa having dealt with apartheid and coming out of that, how do you think those things, I guess, how do they affect you now and how do you kind of push through? If I'm completely honest, my experience in the wine industry, I haven't felt like race for me as an individual, as Roxanne and Roxanne's experience, I don't feel like it was a thing for me. I never felt it. And maybe, maybe Tanisha, I didn't feel it because I was too busy trying to see myself in a different way and to see myself as a successful person. I think I was busy doing a lot of internal work. Maybe that's the reason. I don't know. But my point is, is that I never felt like I was a colored person in the wine industry. I never felt that. And I know that there are many other people in this industry who have felt that. And in certain ways, I feel like maybe I was too naive or maybe I I had like blinkers on and, and I should have experienced this to feel more included in the group who did feel like they went through that as part of the experience. But I never felt that... If I think about it now, Tanisha, it's a good question. I think that my coloredness became more apparent to me with the students that I worked with because that was the race group that I I worked with and the Black demographic as well. And then it became more apparent to me. Maybe I'll sit with that a little bit more. And then in terms of being a woman, I also didn't feel it that much. I had to stay very focused on where I wanted to go because I was afraid that I was going to fail. I was afraid, honestly, I was afraid that I was going to live under a bridge, that I would have no friends. It was, I was there. I was at that point. And so getting myself out of that, becoming a stronger 
person, that is all my mind was at every day. And so if there were these other these other things coming in, I just I didn't it wasn't important to me. And it also could it couldn't help me go forward. The only thing that could help me go forward was my mindset. And so that's where I did the work. Now, you mentioned that you teach now, but I know that you have been in sommelier competitions and that there was a particular competition that your team won over Zimbabwe. Mm, mm. Uh, it was the, I love that competition. It was the Ubuntu trophy uh, competition. I think they do it every year. And it was just, it was so great, man, because... It wasn't just like the South African group. And, and to me, it wasn't South Africa and Zimbabwe. I didn't see it like that. It was, I'm probably too much of a people person, but to me, it was like, hey, these are my colleagues and we get to compete together. And the way that we compete is there's a Zimbabwe group and there's a South African group, you know, but I was just... I was just really delighted that as sommeliers we could compete, compete together. You know, it wasn't it didn't even feel like a competition for me. It just felt like we were doing something together. And and I think that it was an it was an expression of where the wine industry is going. And it was a step in the right direction. I would like us to continue doing that because wine in South Africa needs to get out of South Africa. And the idea that it's just us, that also has to change. And what I've been learning about lately is the wine industry across Africa, what's happening in Zim, distribution, a little bit about how that works, what the challenges are, what the good things are, what the opportunities are, um, how people relate to wine in other parts of Africa and how things are starting. Having a competition like Ubuntu, it starts to open up those conversations and those possibilities and even just starts to hold the space for those ideas to come through. I like that. And I fully agree with getting wine out of South Africa so the rest of us can enjoy it. With the Ubuntu competition, what is a sommelier competition like? Is it blind tasting? Is it an exam? What is the competition like? Mm. So there is a blind tasting involved. I immediately have got flashbacks that I that I didn't want to actually take off the shelf, but, but now thank you. And so, yes, there is a blind tasting involved. There's also a theory, there's a theory test. And the theory test includes not just uh, wine and wine history and cultivars and regions, but it also includes other things like cheese, beer, whiskey, and then the, the theory exam, the test also includes service. So what is what you do under these conditions? What do you do under these conditions? Which glass would you use for this and why? 
Yeah, so there's a theory paper, there's a blind tasting. Um, as part of that blind tasting, sometimes they may have food and wine pairings. Um, so you'll taste the wine blind and say, you know, well, this is what I think it is and this is what I think it, it will pair with. I think it was with Ubuntu as well. We did it. Um, they would bring out a plate of an ingredient of some of some sort, maybe... Um, I remember with the last competition, what was it now? They, they brought out an artichoke. Uh, it was a cooked uh, artichoke in brine. And so we had to, you know, say what it is. And I think like what country it originates from and what wine you would pair with it. And artichoke is, is difficult to pair. So that yes. was part of the... What did you pair then, with the artichoke? Do you remember? I think I did a dry Riesling. Cut through that little bit of that oil. But anyways, I'm going to go off on a tangent. And then there's also a service. There's a service part. So how to open and serve a bottle of champagne or how to open and serve and decant a bottle of aged red wine or how to make a cocktail. They could ask you that. And there's always a trick up the judge's sleeve. And I remember this specifically with Ubuntu. There was a question to pour a... There wasn't any cognac, and so the you then had to then suggest a brandy since there wasn't a cognac. So you've just got to stay sharp, and it's fun, but it's very nerve-wracking. I mean, you can be a sommelier for four years, but when you get to a competition, you're still shaking, and, like, you know, you're still pouring the wine, and your throat is still croaky. Yeah, but that's that's what they, that's what they would ask you to do. Okay. It seems interesting and uh, kind of fun the idea of it but I can imagine like you just said how nerve-wracking that is when you're in it and you're like okay these people are looking at me my teammates are looking at me people are kind of depending on me and then also just for yourself like you want to win the things that you do there are those in the competition are those skills and things that you particularly or specifically study and practice for for this competition or are these also things that you use in your day-to-day as a sommelier yeah it's definitely what we do day-to-day as a som and so there were times where I found certain things mm, challenging because I'm not working on the floor as a sommelier as often as I used to mm-hmm. so I felt I was a little bit a little bit out of practice because when you are doing these things every day it's very much second nature. You you move more swiftly. You move with more flow because it's already patterned in your mind that this is the next thing that I need to do. This is the next thing. So yeah, definitely what is in the competition actually happens, probably except for, for the blind tasting because in reality, a guest would order a bottle of wine so you would know what it is. And then also, I think in terms of the theory, when you have when you have guests, they ask you a lot of different things about the wine. So what you are doing a theory test on is also what you would speak about to a client, depending on the restaurant, etc. You mentioned that you aren't on the floor as much. First, what is it like in, on the floor? It's really wonderful. I thoroughly enjoy meeting people from all ages all around the world whether or not they can speak English it really doesn't matter to me there are so many ways around language I remember when I worked in the Seychelles and it was it was 
quite tough. Not being away from home, I, I specifically wanted to work in the middle of the ocean where nobody could get to me. I was completely, I wanted that. So it wasn't being away from home. But there were other elements at the time that made things quite tricky. And I can honestly say that had had it not been for the guests, I was working at a hotel resort, so we had in-house guests and they would stay with us for maybe two or three weeks. And getting to know, because you will then serve the same guests every evening. And so getting to know a couple or a family was so nourishing and getting to know their, their ways and their preferences, you know, the wines they like, the food they like. And it's all around the conversations, you know. We learn from one another. I learn about the place they're from or the culture they're from, their life experience. And you'll be surprised at the kind of conversations and the quality of the conversations that you can have with guests. And then it becomes less about the wine, even though the wine is the starting point for the relationship. I really enjoy it. Um, I love doing food and wine pairings. I love talking about food. Um, and I love listening to other people talk about their experience with food, what they cook and what they pay and, you know, where they've been. And so, yeah, I really enjoy working on the floor and also working with the, the team on the floor. No sommelier can do their job alone. And, yeah, just working together as a team, the relationships. Um, sometimes it's tricky, but once you get around that, it works. It works you, the team, the guests, the chef. It works. It flows. And I really like that. And I'd imagine that, like you said, with you working at a hotel resort, you're able to establish much more of a rapport with your guests. They probably feel more comfortable asking you certain questions, having certain conversations with you, as opposed to if you were just in a restaurant where you may just see this person one time. Yes, a good question. Yes, time affords that. But even on a restaurant floor, if you've got somebody with you or family or a couple with you or function, and functions are interesting, actually but if you've got that group with you for an hour and a half or two hours you can still build rapport you still leave an impression on the person and they still leave an impression on you whether it's two hours or two weeks and and I think there's also something to be said when you know you only have two hours ever with this one person or with this one family that's all you got and there's something special about that because you might never see that person again, you know. So whether it's just a once-off context or a prolonged context, there's still there's still a little bit of magic there, you know. Either either way, there's still like a nugget of of just like goodness, you know, connection, a spark. When people think sommelier at a restaurant, they think, okay, there's this person I can ask that's like a wine director or like a wine guru I can ask them what wine would go with uh, my meal but being a sommelier is so much more than that can you give us in like a few words or a lot of words what being a sommelier kind of day-to-day -day is really like because it is definitely more than just oh yes you're having the steak I recommend a Cabernet Sauvignon and then like going off to your office like it's more than that it's a great question because it is more than that and I'm trying to pinpoint 
what it is. And I think it's relationships because relationships is the communication vehicle. And if you can't communicate, if it's difficult, if the relationship is funky, discussing or ordering wine for your restaurant becomes very uncomfortable. If the relationship with the client is a little bit tricky for whatever reason, doing your job then becomes difficult. There's a lot of dynamics at play in that engagement. Mm-hmm. And the relationship with your team, if you don't have a good relationship with them, they are not going to have your back. You're going to have to run. And it isn't about, it isn't about, well, I'm going to have a good relationship so that you can help me. It isn't about that. I'm just mentioning one element of what can happen if the if the relationship is a bit wonky. And then, of course, there's a relationship with the chef. The food and the wine must go together. You must go together with the chef. And if that relationship isn't sound, it's going to be a nightmare. Can you imagine? So I think at the heart of it, as a sum, building and maintaining really good, authentic, grounded, and honest relationships is a big thing. With you having worked in other countries, other places, what do you think is different about being a, a sommelier or being a in the wine industry in South Africa? International guests, they ask specifically for South African wines by name. And when I worked abroad, I didn't realize that, you know, because when you're in South Africa and you talk about wine and we talk about wine in what we want to see and hear, no, we want to send wine away and we want, we want South Africa to be seen in a certain way. But when you are on the other side, to hear somebody say, can I have, do you have any of the Saudi wines on your list? You know, do you have any of the Malinu wines on your list? Or, you know, whatever whatever it is, whatever it is, whether it's a Saudi or whether it's a Durbanville Hills, it doesn't matter. But people are asking for South African wines by name. And that stood out for me because... I saw the way that we as a country, as a partner to the world is being seen and entrusted. That was the thing. And that made me very proud to be from that place that people are asking about things for. And I almost wished, and I thought a lot about the winemakers, you know, I thought a lot about the Andreas and the Ebens, and I thought a lot about them and what they are missing by not being there at the table, you know, mm-hmm. hearing people ask specifically for their wines. But, yeah, that really stood out for me working abroad. For the people who aren't there yet and can't ask for the wines by name or who aren't very familiar with South African wines, what do you wish most people knew about South African wines? Every country wants to and delivers the best that they can. And so in that way, South Africa isn't any different. I think it might have to do with 
the culture of wine drinking in SA and how the culture of South African wine drinkers, how its evolution is informing the quality of the wines. I mean, there's a lot of young winemakers, there's a lot of young colored winemakers, young black winemakers. And not just that, but the winemakers that have established themselves over the years are working with younger winemakers, are being inspired by younger winemakers to do things in a different way, to try something new, and that shows, and that is a result of the way that the South African wine industry has evolved. That is one of the things that I noticed about South African wines from being there, the diversity across uh, the board as far as younger, older, white, black, colored. And another thing I noticed as well is that South Africa does wine that ages. They do fine wine because I think a lot of the wine that is exported and wines that we may get in the States or wines that you see in Europe, um, a lot of those, when people talk about South African wine, it's like this $7.99 Pinotage or they aren't the best of the best, which I think is unfortunate. So I wish people knew that about South African wine, that they have some fine wine there. They have some um, higher echelon, higher end wines, some age-worthy wines that are coming out of South Africa. And I don't think a lot of people know mm -hmm. that. Yeah, that is a conversation that's been in the, in the collective, definitely, yes. And then on that as well, you know, the, the fine wines coming out of South Africa, it's, I think it's a, it's a quantity issue. We just don't have the quantities mm. that the other, you know, more affordable wines yields. What is one piece of advice you would give to a young person that's wanting to get into the wine industry or when they start with your academy? There is nothing that you can't do. There is nothing that you can't do. You know, we have this young people have got, have got this idea that, you know, they've got to like wade through things and, and especially the people that I've taught and, and that I'm going to teach on you, Betty Green. The wine industry is massive. Wine is, can be complex. Food types can be complex. Working in a restaurant can be hectic. Chefs are intense. You can do it. There is nothing that you cannot do. And there are certain things that will help you to do, to be able to do that. A little bit of confidence, believing in yourself, asking questions, not being afraid to ask questions. That's probably another thing I would say. Just keep asking questions all the time to everybody. It's a game changer. I want to end on that note because that was such a good point you made at the end. Just ask questions and you can do anything. That was so inspirational. Introducing younger people to the industry, providing further educational opportunities for sommeliers, wine competitions, and that great South African hospitality. 
We have covered a lot in this episode. It was such a pleasure to speak with Roxanne and really get a sense of what it's like to work in restaurants and to speak directly with the consumers of South Africa. Roxanne's website is forthcoming, but you can connect with her on LinkedIn right now to find out more about what she's doing. Only two episodes left for this semester abroad season, and we plan to finish strong. Send us a message on IG or TikTok to let us know how you're enjoying this season. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Wine School Dropout. This podcast was produced by Studio Ochinta and hosted by me, Tanisha Townsend. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Sound design and production by Luis Lopez. Production coordination by Catalina Hoyos. Our theme was done by Gabrielle DeMasso. Music is by Makai Beats. Our art is by Tiffany DeLune. Follow us at Wine School Dropout on Instagram. If you'd like the show, tell a friend about it and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sit back, relax, and have a glass. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.